Welcome to the Coaching and Positive Psychology Podcast. In these summer episodes, you will be hearing the best of Valerie Burton's interviews with special guests. Each episode is packed with practical insights to help you coach yourself and others toward achieving your goals. Want to leverage your career success and help others in their own personal growth? Or maybe you want to work to be meaningful without sacrificing your relationships and well-being. Coaching may be the dream career you've been looking for. Download your free guide, The Path to Becoming a Successful Coach, to see if coaching is right for you and the next steps you can take to become one. Download now at capinstitute.com. You can click the link in the show notes. Welcome to Positively Psyched. I'm your host, Valerie Burton, and this is the podcast that helps successful women navigate the unique real-life challenges we face on our journey to living authentic, fulfilling lives. And I'm super excited, especially because this is our very first episode. Now, I've thought about doing this for a really long time, and I think some of my perfectionism kicked in, and that's why it's taken me so long. <laughs> but here I am, and I'm so excited to connect with you in this way. I'm going to be interviewing guests sometimes, guests that have, I think, really fascinating backgrounds and really great insight about the challenges that are unique to us as women who are successful and aspiring to success because there are, whether it's personal challenges or professional ones, there are some unique ones that we really face. But in this very first episode, I'm just going to talk to you. I'm going to talk to you specifically from the perspective of my latest book, It's About Time, The Art of Choosing the Meaningful Over the Urgent. I'm going to talk about what I've identified as six core vulnerabilities. This is, I think, so important because so many of us struggle with time. Time has become more difficult for us to manage. Our schedules oftentimes feel very overloaded. The number of requests and distractions that we have can feel like they just bury us, right? Sometimes just getting through your email inbox of, can you do this? And how about this? And here's an invitation to that can be really, really overwhelming. Um, And for many of us, what ends up happening is we're dealing constantly with what I call false urgencies, those things that feel important in the moment, either because others make them seem important, or because they are just those distractions that pop up through the technology that we have. So it's the text message, the emails, the notifications from the apps on your phone that make life feel like everything's coming at you all at once. And when that happens, we can treat things as urgent that really aren't. And in the process, we can meet, we can really miss out on the things that are meaningful. If we're going to do what's meaningful, if we're going to live our lives in a meaningful way, meaning that we are connecting with the people who are most important for us to connect with, we are making an impact on others' lives, we are doing work that is purposeful, whatever that looks like for you, whether it's in the marketplace, in your community, or at home. When we're living meaningful lives, what we're doing is we're living timelessly, as I like to call it. And timeless living means that the choices that you make are choices that don't just matter right now, 
They'll matter a month from now, a year from now, or even decades from now. Because you're choosing the meaningful and not just the things that seem urgent. But there are some things that can really get in the way of that. These innate, um, oftentimes psychological impulses that we have that cause us to make choices that are counter to what is meaningful. Um, And I call them core vulnerabilities. There are six of them. So in our time together right now, I just want to share these six I think you'll see yourself probably in more than one of them. So don't feel bad. You might you might feel like, oh my goodness, I have all six of them. And here's the thing. There is an assessment that goes with this um, that you can find on my website. I'll talk about that at the very end um, that you can take. It's free to discover what your core vulnerabilities are because these really can affect you because the art of choosing the meaningful requires us to be aware of the vulnerabilities that can steer us in the wrong direction. Here's what I mean. I'm going to share this directly from my book from page 142 in It's About Time. The same optimism that leads you to set a big goal can also make you underestimate just how much effort it will take and leave you with deadlines you can't possibly meet. Your tendency to be concerned with others' feelings can manifest itself as thoughtfulness on the one hand and a fear of disapproval that makes it hard for you to say no to time-consuming requests, on the other hand. And your noble desire to be fair and do what's right can open the door to guilt trips by those who will twist the narrative in order to get you to spend your time doing what they want, no matter what. And the list goes on. So let's take a look at these six core vulnerabilities. I like to describe them as beauty and the beast. And what I mean by that is, the beauty is that these tap into natural strengths that you have, okay? And those things are beautiful. But when you overuse those strengths, they become the beast that you really have to tame. And the good news is just being aware of your core vulnerabilities is a key tool to being able to overcome them. When we're not aware of what we're doing, we just do it without even recognizing um, the sabotage that it could be causing. So just hearing these will raise your awareness and help you make better choices about how you spend your time, especially when those choices become difficult. So core vulnerability number one, TIDS optimism. Now, This one holds a special place in my heart because this is the one that I continue to overcome. Tids optimism, tids being a Swedish uh, term, Swedish in origin, simply means time optimism. Um, The beauty of it is that hope and optimism are your strengths, that this is your core vulnerability. Um, You know, you're more willing than most to step out on faith. You always believe you can find a way and you can get things done. You are optimistic. And here's the thing. There is a lot of good in optimism. In fact, optimists tend to make better leaders. You know, it's kind of difficult to follow someone pessimistic, right? Because a leader has to set the vision and get everyone inspired. And that requires a degree of optimism. In fact, optimism is a predictor of success. Those who are more optimistic tend to set better goals um, because they believe in the possibility of something big, something greater being able to happen. Optimists actually 
live longer. The positive emotion that comes from optimism has health benefits. So there's a lot of good to optimism, but here's the beast when you overuse it and it becomes your strength. So time optimism is the tendency to underestimate how long things take. And that can cause you to take on tasks, deadlines, and goals without an accurate picture of what will be required. And so it ends up creating unnecessary stress and false urgencies. Can you relate? If you find yourself consistently late, and you're probably late the same amount of time if you're late, you know, there are the five minute late people, there are the 10 minute, the 15 minute, there are the 30 minute late people. Have you ever encountered them? <laughs> and so the reason is because you get to a point where you just can't take it anymore. And you actually realize, I have to start now. Basically, because that that internal clock uh, basically just kicks in. And finally, it gives you a dose of pessimism that is a reality check that causes you to get started. But it's too late. Your optimism already kicked in and you've started too late. I'm going to give you an example uh, from my own life. Quite a while back, um, I uh, it was a Saturday morning. I had a pretty big to-do list. I had somewhere I needed to be, but I thought, oh, I know what I can do. I can check this particular item off my to-do list before I head to the event that I need to go to. My TIDS optimism kicked in. I needed, the, the thing I wanted to check off my list was that I needed to go to Ikea to pick up a small table. I had one table and I wanted to add another to it. So I knew exactly what it was that I needed, which actually exacerbated the TIDS optimism because I thought I know exactly where it is in the store. And I told myself that I would run in and be back out in 15 minutes. Now, I don't know if you've ever been to Ikea. It's a store that's about 360,000 square feet. Nobody runs into Ikea right quick, especially not on a Saturday morning. (laughs) That's what I told myself I was going to do. So I, you know, I get there. I get to the parking garage. I've got to find a parking space. Uh, I've got to remember where that parking space is so I don't get lost coming out because there are multiple levels at IKEA. <laughs> I get into the uh, get into the door. I've got to go up the escalator past all the food because you know what? IKEA is so large that you could stop and just take a break and have lunch. Okay, like real food. So I get into the store and the item I need is near the back of the store. That means I need to pass by a whole lot of furniture that I think looks good and I need to stop and look at it and consider it for other rooms that have nothing to do with why I'm there that day. Um, I finally pick up what I need, but at Ikea, you don't just pick it up and go to the register. You've got to get a little card that has a number and then you've got to go to like a warehouse area and find that number for that box because it's something you're going to have to put together. And then you can get a cart if you need it, because the box is probably going to be fairly large. And then you can head off to the cash register. And so I got distracted quite a bit. And by the time I walked out of Ikea, I had been in there for an hour and a half. So much for running into Ikea right quick. (laughs) So I was thinking how ridiculous this was. I felt exhausted, exasperated, irritated with myself. At that point, I'm like, why did I think I could run into Ikea right quick, let alone on a Saturday? And I posted that on my Facebook page. 
And one of my Facebook friends, who is a, was a fellow classmate of mine in positive psychology when I was at the University of Pennsylvania, just had a one sentence, wasn't even a full sentence response. Scott simply said, because you are an optimist. And I stared at the comment. It resonated so deeply. I had always beaten myself up for uh being late for um, missing a deadline or needing to extend a deadline, for getting into that situation over and over and over again. I had bought into this belief that I had heard from etiquette experts that, you know, people who are late are just rude and inconsiderate, and they think their time is more important than everyone else's time. And I just knew deep down that for me, it was deeper than that. I, I really didn't feel I was being intentionally inconsiderate. I realized that I really believed each time that I could get there on time or that I could accomplish the goal by this ridiculous deadline. And so when he said, because you are an optimist, it really hit me. And so we actually went back and forth about it. And that's where I learned about this idea of TIDS optimism. So TIDS optimism is a core vulnerability, something that happens almost automatically. In the book, I talk about the need to become a positive pessimist, that we've got to find that streak of pessimism when we are needing to estimate time so that we can estimate it more accurately. So here's the next core vulnerability. You probably can relate to this. It's perfectionism. So many of us struggle with perfectionism. And in fact, the research shows that perfectionism is largely a female issue that women and girls are more likely to be perfectionists than men. Now we could guess what that's all about. Um, and some of it I do believe is cultural and how we bring up girls to be neat and nice and everything to be in that perfect box. And boys are often encouraged to be messy and, you know, when they fail and when they fall down, just get back up. And I think oftentimes as women, we feel like um, it's we're not ready yet. We have a little bit more we need to learn, a little bit more we need to do so that it can be good enough. So the beauty, the strength that often underlines uh, underlies perfectionism is actually that you value excellence. You value a job well done. You're willing to work hard to do things right. And you pay attention to those details that make the difference between something being average and being outstanding. And that's really good. In fact, what you call perfectionism has probably served you well in many ways, especially in the workplace. It may have caused you to get promotions, uh, to be given more responsibility and titles, and for people to be able to trust you with projects because you are going to get it right. But here's the beast side of that strength. Deep down, you often fear that nothing you do is ever quite good enough. And it leads you on this unquenchable quest for perfection. Perfectionism is actually a personality trait where a person um, strives for flawlessness and sets standards that are nearly and almost always impossible to achieve. 
And there's a lot of self-criticism that comes with perfectionism. There is also the fear of criticism by others. So perfectionism, when it comes to our time, causes us to invest far more time than is necessary to get to the goal because we're constantly perfecting it. Um, We think it's not quite ready yet. Think about this in the matter of wanting to move ahead in the workplace. You may see an opportunity, a position you want, an opportunity that you want, a project you think your business could take on. But if you allow the core vulnerability of perfectionism to take over, you'll talk yourself out of it before you even step up for the opportunity. You won't even raise your hand for it out of that fear of criticism, oftentimes out of this belief that somehow you are not ready, you can't check all the boxes off, so you're not even going to throw your hat in the ring. So perfectionism over time can cause us to lose a great deal of time. Think about it this way. If you have one person who is not a perfectionist, and there's an opportunity in front of them, and they don't meet all the qualifications, but let's say they meet half to say 75%. And they're like, oh, what the heck? (laughs) I'm going to go for it. I think I could do it. I I have some stuff to learn, but I think I have some good experiences and good background that would lend itself to this opportunity. So I'm going to, I'm going to put my hand up for it. And the other person basically holds themselves back. Maybe they've got even more of the qualifications. Maybe they're 85% there. But all they're focused on is the 15% that's missing. And out of their own self-criticism or their fear of criticism by others, they don't even acknowledge that this is something they think they could do, that they'd like to be considered for. Well, most of the time, um, what happens is you've got a person that's raising their hand all the time. They might get half of the opportunities they put their hand up for. But in those halves, they keep moving forward. The person who keeps holding themselves back because they're being a perfectionist doesn't get any of the opportunities that they don't raise their hands for. So over time, the person who's not a perfectionist is moving ahead more and more and more. And the other person is remaining stagnant when they could be so far ahead. We often don't think about how perfectionism wastes our time, but this core vulnerability is one we have to get control of. Here's the next one, overachieving. We're talking about successful women. (laughs) There's no question that there are overachievers in the group. So the beauty of overachieving is that you're actually really good at getting things done. Um, You know, you like to tick things off of your to-do list. And um, (laughs) if you're anything like me, you might even add things back onto your to-do list after you've done them because you forgot to put them on there in the first place. And you just like the thrill of crossing it off the list. I've certainly done that before. Oh, yeah, I went to the grocery store. That wasn't on my list. And I made that phone call. That wasn't on my list. And so there is beauty in it because you're a person who likes to get things done. You're good at that. Um, You like that feeling of accomplishing important goals. Um, You're a doer. And it serves you well. It serves your family well. It serves your coworkers. It serves others well. But here's the thing. When you're an overachiever, the beast comes out and the beast looks like this. You almost always do more than what's required. Um, And so that means you 
waste time. Like you didn't have to do all of that. It wasn't necessary. Um, You're driven, even if you don't realize it, oftentimes by external accolades and praise. You might even get an emotional boost from the feeling that you're more competitive than others. You're ahead of them. Um, And rarely do you feel content and satisfied that you have enough. And part of this is because when we are overachievers, um, those achievements become a source of validation and acceptance. And so even when accomplishments no longer hold meaning, you might continue to pursue them out of a need for acceptance or out of your own insecurity. And that makes it less likely that you'll choose the things that are meaningful. It is more a matter of look at what this achievement says about me. Um, This is an achievement I've always done. And so I'm just going to continue doing it. And when you do that, when it is the focus on doing, 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 and you don't stop and say, in this season, what achievements really matter? We cannot get stuck in doing things just because we've always done them. We can't get stuck in doing things because of the external accolades. We have to ask at every point along the way, what does this mean to me? Why does this matter? When you begin asking that question, there are going to be some things that you realize you're doing that don't really matter anymore. Perhaps the growth that you needed at some point in your life from achieving that has already been attained. And now it's time to move on because there is new growth that um, is waiting for you if you'll move beyond. I'll never forget, I uh, years ago, more than two decades ago, um, started an event for the employer I was working for at the time. And the event honored one woman each year who'd blazed trails in business or the community. And it was a fundraiser um, that raised money for domestic violence shelter. And I had this opportunity to, to start the event with the backing of the company I worked for. And it was amazing. I mean, the women who were a part of it, um, who were being honored, were phenomenal. And I was the chairperson, and each year I would chair it. And the event started back in 97. And around 2003, I had a mentor who was who would always come to the event. Um, and that particular year, again, another great event, hundreds and hundreds of people showed up. At that point, it was raising more than six figures for uh, this charity. Um, and the event was over and it went great. And I was just glowing. I was just excited to see it continuing to grow. But my mentor said something that really stopped me in my tracks. He said, so how long are you going to keep doing this? I mean, you're just going to chair it forever. And I had never pondered that. I thought, well, yeah, that's what I do. (laughs) I chair this event. And I went home later and I, I kept thinking about what he said. And what he was saying is you've created something really great and others can lead it now. In fact, they're ready and you could move on and put your energy into new things. And I had never thought of it as I'm starting something that's meaningful and it could continue even without me. In fact, I was going to be moving within a year from then. I didn't even realize it at the time. And so fortunately, that gave me kind of this confidence and this different perspective that although it had achieved great things, I could move on 
And maybe I could leave something behind that had my little, you know, had my fingerprints on it. Um, And it could continue. And it could bless people. But it didn't need to be my achievement. It really didn't. And that's exactly what's happened. The event continues to this day. In fact, I got an email about it the other day and I thought, wow, you haven't been involved in years. And they're still doing it. And they're still raising money. And it's still impacting women who are trying to escape abusive situations, many of them with their children. And it's still honoring women who are opening doors for others. And my name is nowhere to be seen and it doesn't need to be. It's just something I'm glad I got to be a part of and had an opportunity to create. So think about that, overachieving, and how very often in new seasons of our lives, we need to ask, what's the meaning of this now? Do I need to keep achieving it? Or do I need to move on? All right, here are the last three. Over-responsibility, <laughs> over-responsibility. So the beauty in over-responsibility is you are super reliable. You think ahead about the things that might go wrong. You put things in place to keep those scenarios from happening. You're very quick to help out. Um, and people love you for it, right? Because they don't even have to be that responsible because you will remember everything. You remind people of stuff, right? That's where the beast comes in. You take ownership of things that are not yours to take ownership of. So while you're responsible, which is a good thing, when you're over-responsible, you take on others' responsibilities, you consistently do for others what they can do for themselves, and so oftentimes they don't take responsibility if you're around. You also might find yourself stressing about whether people in your life will hold up their end of the bargain. So you step in and you take on tasks that you don't need to take on. You might even deeply resent it, and there's a good chance you have a lot of fear. Fear that if you don't keep doing what you've been doing, if you don't keep up this over-responsibility, everything's going to fall apart. The beast is that your fear really binds you. Your fear keeps you from allowing others to grow and to learn and to do what they are fully capable of doing. And it's a lot of stress. It takes up a lot of your time. And so it's important to note if you're over-responsible. In fact, if you're really over-responsible, it happens so automatically that you're probably sitting here right now starting to just think, I had never called it that. (laughs) Um, But that is taking up a lot of my time. What if, what if I let others do what they're supposed to do and I just were able to focus I was just able to focus on what I needed to do. How much time could I free up? Obviously, there are a lot of other ways over-responsibility shows up. It can show up in your finances. When you're paying for things you don't need to be paying for, it can show up in so many ways. The beauty of it is you're responsible. The beast is being over-responsible. The fifth, uh, the fifth, I was going to call it the fifth (laughs) over-responsibility. The fifth core vulnerability is approval addiction, approval addiction. So the strength that underlies approval addiction is that you are really good at 
empathizing, at listening to the needs of others, you're, you're really, really considerate. You're easy to get along with. Um, you're likable. You rarely cause problems for others. You're just, you're easy to get along. People just are like, ah, what they don't realize is that the fact that you go out of your way to be nice um, really has to do with a deeper fear and anxiety of saying no to people, of being truthful and direct with them. Um, When you have approval addiction, there is that beauty of being considerate and sensing the needs of others, but there is that beast that you avoid conversations and situations that you think will disappoint others. You hide information about yourself that you think will result in disapproval or rejection. Your decisions are often influenced by that fear, that fear of what others are going to think. And this impacts your ability to conquer time tyranny because you don't have or want to disappoint or upset anyone else by turning down their requests. Saying no for you just produces a great deal of anxiety. And so this is huge because in being able to take control of your time, no is an essential word we have to learn to use. And you know what? No is a complete sentence. You don't always have to explain or apologize for saying no. It is, I'm not going to be able to do that. That's it. You have a right to choose what is meaningful for you. And not everything is meaningful for you right now, even if people are pressuring you. Being able to give a yes that is an enthusiastic yes, that is a meaningful yes, is being authentic to who you are. And if you're going to live an authentic life, you have to let go of approval addiction because you cannot be authentic if every decision you're making is about what everybody else thinks. What do you think? What do you need? What are your values? What matters to you? You know the answers. So be honest about those answers. That doesn't mean you need to be rude. That doesn't mean you have to be ugly about it. But it also means that you don't have to feel guilty about it. And that leads me to the very last core vulnerability. Misplaced guilt. Misplaced guilt. All right, so. There is a strength that underlines, underlies misplaced guilt, and it is that you have a very strong sense of fairness. You like to do what is right. If you do something wrong or someone's hurt inadvertently by your actions, you are very quick to apologize and to make amends. And this is a good thing. It's, it's an important thing. It's, I think it's also a part of being able to live an authentic life, that when you know you're wrong, you're willing to do something about it. Guilt is actually a healthy emotion when you've done something wrong. It means you have a conscience, right? But the flip side of this, the weakness, the beast of it, is that sometimes you feel guilty about others' choices and you feel guilty about things that you haven't actually done wrong. And so you end up overcompensating, you end up overcommitting in ways you don't have time for. And you may even have people in your life that know this is your core vulnerability. And so they manipulate you. They manipulate you by really putting guilt trips on you. And they know that guilt trips can get you to spend your time doing what they want 
Um, They know that they can use guilt trips to get you to focus on false urgencies rather than the things that really are meaningful. And so understanding when that core vulnerability of guilt kicks in is so important that you can step back and say, do I really have anything to feel guilty for here? Have I done anything wrong? If I've done something wrong, let me make amends. But let me not overcompensate. Let me not allow guilt to drive my choices and my decisions. All right, so as we wrap up, I just want to give you a few thoughts on what to do with each of these core vulnerabilities when you feel them rising up, when you're trying to choose the meaningful, right? And choosing the meaningful means you're getting a request and you're deciding, is this something I really want to do? Is it important to me? Sometimes choosing the meaningful uh, has to do with us um, dealing with those digital distractions. Sometimes it's about us making big life decisions like where we want to live or where we want to work or who we want to spend our time with because lost time produces a great deal of guilt and remorse. And so when we're choosing how we're going to spend our time and how we're going to spend our lives, it's important that we not be driven by these core vulnerabilities. So TIDS optimism, if that's your core vulnerability, put on your pessimistic hat, look for what might not go as planned, decide how you could handle the challenge. You know what, find that pessimistic friend, (laughs) that colleague who can help you see things a bit more clearly. And sometimes you need to give yourself a little extra time to make decisions. Um, Because if you're overly optimistic, you can be on an emotional high and say yes to something, only to later realize, ugh, when you come down on that high, why did I say yes? All right, perfectionism. Listen, give yourself permission to be imperfect. Decide what good enough looks like before you even get started on whatever it is that you're working on. And when you get to good enough, Decide it's finished and move on. Save your time. Realize that when you're making progress, it's a process. It doesn't need to be perfect. In fact, when things are going wrong, when mistakes are made, when it looks messy, that's where the good stuff is. That's where the learning is. That's where you become wiser. That's where you grow. But when we're perfectionists, we don't allow room for that. And you have to allow that space when you're feeling self-critical, to instead choose self-compassion and to say, yeah, that was hard. Yeah, I wish it had turned out better. Is there something for me to learn here? Can I just give myself permission to be imperfect? Can I pat myself on the back for just trying? If you think overachieving is a core vulnerability for you, remind yourself that achievements don't make you more valuable. Your worth has nothing to do with what you do. It is about who you are. It is about living out your purpose, understanding that you have a purpose, that there's a reason that you're here. And focusing in on that, when we begin to really crave that sense of purpose more than we crave praise, then we can let go of those achievements that have become empty. Decide what areas of your life are worth the extra effort And what areas you want to be, you know, a deliberate underachiever. (laughs) I think that's really important. I think we need to have those areas of our lives that we're like, you know what, I don't have to be good at this. Um, You know, maybe it's an area where you're just wanting to have a little fun, right? You're taking up a hobby. And sometimes it's those areas that are mundane, but they have to be done, but you don't have to do them perfectly, right? So, you know, 
playing with your kids over the dishes in the sink. Some days, you know what, the dishes are just going to stay in the sink. Some days things are just going to be a bit messy. And that's okay. If your core vulnerability is over responsibility, just start letting others take responsibility. And you know what, stop reminding them, stop prodding them, stop taking over. Yes, there will be consequences. And you know what, all of us learn from consequences. Be willing to let the ball drop when the outcome isn't your responsibility. And watch how things unfold. You'll be able to handle it. And you'll also have a lot less uh, resentment because you're not having to hold things up that are not yours to hold up. Okay, think about the time you'd save if you stopped doing what someone else is responsible for. And then ask yourself, what might be a more meaningful use of that saved time? Ah, I'm picturing some ways that I've stopped becoming over-responsible. And it feels so, so good. All right, approval addiction. If this is what you struggle with, and this is one of mine, um, realize that when you're saying no to the things that you need to say no to, you're actually saying yes to what really matters. So get comfortable with saying no, get comfortable with being uncomfortable, um, and refuse to allow this core vulnerability to take over. Because when it does, you're being inauthentic. When you're saying yes, and you don't mean it, you are going against your own values. You are sabotaging yourself and you're not being authentic. There's no freedom in that. Lastly, misplaced guilt. Misplaced guilt. So if this is you, if you feel guilt-ridden, <laughs> refuse to be ma- manipulated about it. Or excuse me, manipulated by it. So if you sense that someone's trying to manipulate you um, when you're making a, a time choice, sometimes you just need to step away. Because sometimes with these core vulnerabilities, we just immediately jump in and say, Yes, because we're trying to avoid the pain of feeling that guilt, of feeling like we're doing something wrong. So if if you're inclined to to respond, like it's a trigger and you react automatically, have a couple of phrases you use when people are making requests, like, let me get back to you on that, <laughs> right? Sometimes when you are able to remove yourself for a little bit, um, you're able to get your thoughts together, you're able to get your words together about what you need to say, And keep in mind that guilt is often about this feeling that we've done something wrong, that we've caused harm. You need to stop and question that. Because too often, when we're talking about misplaced guilt, we're not talking about, yes, you actually did something wrong that you need to rectify. We're talking about those situations where you haven't done anything wrong. And you know, particularly if you're a mother, (laughs) that can come in with your kids. You can find yourself overcompensating in areas. If you're a single parent, sometimes you can find yourself really overcompensating because the other parent is not there. If you're a working mom, you can find yourself feeling guilty because you've got to get a little extra work done in the evening or on the weekends. Or maybe you just feel guilty because you're not at home and being able to step back and to be gentle with yourself and to say, am I really doing something wrong in helping to provide for my family in following what I know is my purpose? Am I really doing something wrong when I am raising my children well and I spend quality time with them and I'm doing so many things right? Sometimes we have to stop ourselves in the midst of our thoughts 
and push back against those thoughts. So misplaced guilt, we need to stop and notice it as it's happening. And we need to make a decision, especially when we're being manipulated, to not react, but rather to respond, to give, us our, give ourselves that space to step back and have a little bit of extra time to respond when we know that our initial uh, reaction might sabotage us. And when we're accusing ourselves and criticizing ourselves for doing something wrong and it's not wrong, then we need to say that. This is not wrong. I haven't done anything wrong. I don't need to apologize about this. What I need to do is have some self-compassion. So those are the six core vulnerabilities. And I encourage you to go online, go to ValerieBurton.com, click on our assessments so you can take the core vulnerabilities assessment or click directly on the book. It's about time. It'll take you to the book launch page that has all of the assessments connected with the book that you can actually download or take right there um, online. And you can also listen to the first chapter of the audiobook for free so you can get a feel for what the book is all about. But my hope for you is that this has raised your awareness that oftentimes our behavior is driven by our emotions. But if we're aware of what those emotions are, we can step back and we can take control. And when we take control of those emotions, we can take control of our time because we can be more intentional about choosing the meaningful over the false urgencies that threaten to steal the precious time that we've had. So, I just want to say thank you. Thank you for joining me for this very first episode of Positively Psyched. I cannot wait for you to join me for the next one because I'm going to have a very special guest. All right. So whatever you've enjoyed about this, I would love to see you online. You can find our podcast page at PositivelyPsyched.com where you can listen to all of our episodes. You can get the show notes and I will talk to you next time. Thanks for listening to this episode. Starting your dream career as a coach doesn't mean you have to start over. That's why we created a three-day online coach training intensive, or CTI, to give you the practical tools and knowledge you need to begin coaching immediately. Plus, it's the first step in becoming a certified personal and executive coach. Register now for our next upcoming CTI event at capinstitute.com. That's C-A-P-P institute.com. Thanks for listening.